welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 Season 3 episode, Gray 17 is Missing. So, this episode is kind of infamous in the Babylon 5 fandom for being absolute trite. Uh, and I have to agree. I think it is stuck between two things. Half a good episode, or at least an alright episode, could have been done better and then an absolutely horrid idea that is just beyond dumb. It's hard to imagine just how dumb it is. So I don't know how long this episode is going to be, because I don't have a whole lot to say. Um, I like to focus on positivity rather than negativity. That's just me and my own personal opinions. So I'm going to focus on the plot with Marcus, Delin, and Nerun, and then I will get into the Garibaldi section in a bit. Um, so one thing that I find interesting is that um, Nerun is correct um, in many ways. He's also flawed in many ways, uh, and that's what makes him such an interesting character is from an outsider's perspective, someone who doesn't know about the shadows, you know, doesn't know about everything that is truly going on. Um, he is kind of in, in a situation where he views the lens, uh, sort of attempt to take over the Rangers, which is not really her choice. It was a choice to thrust upon her after Sinclair is now gone. There needs to be new until Za. Um, is that it's a power move. You know, she takes control of a military situation, you know, a military organization, thrusts them in the military situations, becomes a great leader, takes uh, and then earns political and social clout through the Rangers, uh, and quickly heralds herself up towards the top of the upper echelons of Membarni society. She's already personally dissolved the, uh, the Grey Council, and uh, is working with the worker caste and excluding the warrior caste from all decision making. Um, so, from Nerun's perspective, he is right to call her out on this. Um, it is a it looks like a power move. We know it's not a power move. Delin has no intention of grabbing power. She doesn't want power. But that's part of the problem, is that the Mimbari society is, is is so rigid. You must act certain ways, you must act certain things, you must uh, adhere to tradition, honor, and a code, blah, 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 caste system, okay? So when Delenn actively defies all these rules and systems laid out before her, it looks like a someone attempting to take over. Not her intention, but that's the way it looks. Now, of course, Nehruin has flaws. He is uh, after purity. He does not like the fact that the rangers are recruiting humans. He does not like the fact that the previous head of the the rangers, the previous Antilza, was a human, Sinclair. And he doesn't like that the new Antilza is going to be a half-Mimbari, half-human. He, he believes in the purity of his race because he is ultimately the pure Mimbari. A Mimbari, you know, I've talked about this before, Mimbari uh, were sort of regimented along a certain line to think certain ways. And they're unwilling to flex their, 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 
their ways. They're unwilling to bend. Um, but within this, you also have Delenn... So, so you have Delenn being called out on uh, the power move by Nerun, and her correctly going back at him and saying, you forfeited all right to have any say in these matters once you refused to let the, the warrior cast, you know, take heed to help our allies, to secure allies against the shadows. Once you stopped doing this, we had to take up the burden. There is no more, you know, religious warrior and worker. It's just the Membardi, and the Membardi now have to help everyone else in order to fight the shadows. It, it, we have to be form a cohesive whole. And she's correct in this statement. Um, but then she's also showing sort of a, a unwillingness to bend herself. She is, after all, a Membari, and a very proud one at that. Uh, and when when Nerun says, I will stop you from doing this by any means necessary, Lanier is correct to say, he could kill you. And she's like, um... No Mimpari's ever killed another Mimpari. And Lanier goes, yeah, 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 yeah. That rule went out the window when you dissolved the council. You're going to start thinking smarter, not harder, <laughs> you know. Uh, and Delin, it, it's, it, it's sort of her, her sort of blind goggles are on because she still views the Mimpari society as this great thing. She was raised in the society, of course, in, in the way the Mimpari think. Of course, she was raised to believe in the greatness of their society and all that stuff. And she refuses to admit that along with that comes all these great flaws. And within these flaws means that her rebelling against uh, the issues means that the others can rebel against them too. Uh, and I like how Lanier is once again shown to be the smart thinker of uh, finding ways and loopholes around Bimbari tradition. We have seen this several times, his, his attempt to lies, and now this is his attempt to break a promise by, uh, I was told not to go to the captain, but she did not say anything about you, Marcus. Uh, so it, it, it is his, it, he is kind of the sinister take on a Mimbari. I've talked about this before, that by nature of being the naive, uh, you know, it's a temple person, you know, grow, grow, naive monk growing up in a temple all his life, he saw and understood the Mimbari way of life, and then he immediately comes out of temple to be thrown into a morally gray area known as Babylon 5, and he adapts to his situation. And through that, we get to see the way he is able to navigate around Mimbari traditions in order to get what he needs. And the fight between Nerun and Marcus... Uh, could have been directed better. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a close quarters combat fight in in television in the '90s. It was never going to be amazing. Uh, we haven't really gotten good at that until the past, I would say, ten to fifteen years in television. So um, it was never going to be amazing. I there, there are clear times where you can just see that they're just swinging for each other's sticks instead of actually swinging the harm. Um, so it could have been done better, but, uh, the music and the editing helps it, uh, be kinetic, uh, and emotional, and I like how Marcus basically shatters Nerun's illusions of, 
Marcus, a human, was more than willing to lay down his life and die for a Bimbari. We live for the one, we die for the one. And Nerun was more than willing to kill a human simply because he stood in his way of helping, well, the way he saw of helping his own race. But this human was laying down his life to help his race. And so he was called out on his own issues and is shown that humans are worthy of respect in some way. There's something there. And he has broken his own code. Uh, there is now blood between the warrior caste and the religious caste and blood between the warrior caste and the humans. He is the one that did this. And he realized that his cause wasn't worth fighting for anymore. And so he acquiesces and realizes that because of his own stubborn Membari mentality, he could never truly be a leader. Only Dalin, who can sit in between, can be a leader because she can be looked up to by both. Uh, and he begins to understand that. And that's where we really get to see, you know, there are issues with the Mimbari society, and that's going to come into play much later in the series. But it's important to note that Nerum is not a villain. He is a warrior, first and foremost, and he is a Mimbari warrior. That's very important to note. But he is not a villain. He is a complicated man who views things from a non-complicated angle, but is starting to realize that they're far more complicated than he truly grasped. Now, I've talked enough about that. I, I Like I said, it was very interesting. Um, and, and, I, and I like how uh, at the end... Uh, Mar Marcus makes makes his joke about you know could could you could you perhaps have a revelation that's a bit less painful and they ruin laughs at that and I it's a very lovely scene. Uh, now let's get to the Garibaldi stuff because why not? So I don't like focusing on negativity, so I'm probably going to be really short on this. But I've heard it posited that thematically, these uh, the A plot and B plot are not connected. They are technically very loosely connected in thematics, but they are connected. It has to do with uh, belief, revelations, and purity. Uh, both Jeremiah and his cult and the... Uh, uh, warrior cast and ultimately Nerun have a very strong belief and thus they uh, they, they believe in the purity of that belief for uh, for Nerun it is you know humans in Mimbari should not intermingle with each other no matter what um, and that we should all you know be private to ourselves. The humans can exist. The Mimbari can exist, but let's just ignore each other. There shouldn't be human rangers. There shouldn't be a human leading the rangers, etc., etc. Um, and for Jeremiah, it is the purity of spirit. The, their belief that the um, that they are the universe made manifest, and that all their needs, all their wants, 
should be gone away with because in order for the uh, universe to understand itself, they must become as pure as they were when they were born kind of thing. Uh, and it's worth noting that there's also the connection that the cult, Jeremiah and his cult, view the universe exactly the way the Mimbari does. This is even brought up that the Mimbari do believe that they are the universe made manifest. And that is an interesting concept. It's just that Jeremiah and his cult take it further. They believe in purity and letting go of all your baser needs uh, and sort of trying to reform yourself so that you can become one with the universe again. Whereas the Bimbari view it in the way this well, this philosophy should be viewed as a learning experience. If we are the universe made manifest, then it is trying to figure itself out. And much like uh, much like uh, Franklin, who's on his walkabout attempting to find himself, so is the universe. And that's where their revelations come in. Nehrun figures out that his want for purity... Uh, caused himself to lose his own way. For Jeremiah and his cult, the revelation is they're idiots and they have they put their own self-interest and self-preservation above that of the universe. That is the thematic through-line of these A plot and B plot. It's not a good one, technically. It's not very well expounded upon or all that interesting it could have been if it was actually developed. But I don't want to hear that they're not connected thematically, because they are. It's just a tenuous connection and not a very well-developed one. Now... The idea that there is a section of the station that has gone sort of missing a rogue and there's some strange occurrences there, fine idea as it is. The way it's executed, not all that interesting. It's very generic, uh, very standard schlocky horror. You got the puppet that, that, that says weird stuff and shoots the trank in the Garibaldi. And the entire bloody time, uh, Garibaldi is just sitting there and he's listening to Jeremiah and his cultist talk. And what I don't understand is, I do like how Jerry Doyle plays it, where Garibaldi just couldn't give a fuck about what they're saying. But Garibaldi, the character I know, probably wouldn't have the time of day with them. He'd tell them to shut the fuck up and move on, and try and get out of there. And for the most, most of this episode, he is just sitting there listening to him, and is just kind of looking bored. And then, of course, there is the the, the Zardic at the end, which, uh, you know, the there's been a lot of talk about what the Zarg was supposed to be. It looks like a guy in a rubber suit. It looks really cheesy. It looks bad. It doesn't even look as good as the bad CGI monster from Season 1, um, which is saying something, considering Season 1 CGI was far more rudimentary than the CGI of Season 3. Uh, and also, just on a technical level, that steam there would not uh, trigger the bullets at all. Like, it, it wouldn't have. Uh, and this Zard is supposed to be the most dangerous creature in the whole sector, and it's supposed to be this apex predator, and he's taken down by a bunch of old bullets from a revolver. Okay, dude. Sounds cool. Um, isn't all that interesting, like I said, very boring. And there's a, I just want to say before, uh, before I sign out, because I don't really have much to say in this episode, it is bad, um, is that 
There's a lot of convenience in this episode. A lot of it. We conveniently bring back up uh, Garibaldi's um, Boston grandmother police officer. Um, we knew about this before, but we conveniently have him, you know, uh, go cleaning her gun so that he can have the gun on him at the time that he'll need it. Very convenient. Uh, we've never seen him with the gun before. <laughs> you know, it's a little definition of Chekhov's gun. You know, if the gun is, is said to be on the mantle, it better go off by the end of the third act. Um, and then Franklin, when Ivanova goes to visit Franklin, I like how the Underground Railroad was mentioned again as a way to recruit telepaths, which is worth noting that they are recruiting telepaths for the war effort, which is a nice touch. But he is now suffering withdrawals and it's explained that the stems take a while to leave your system and that's why the withdrawals took forever but it's rather convenient so we could have had you know last week's episode where he was all fine and dandy and acted like a normal human being instead of someone going through drug withdrawal there's just a lot of convenience and there's a lot more of conveniences that go on in this episode it's yeah anyway it has half a good idea that could have been executed a lot better. That being the Nehrun, Dylan, and Marcus stuff. I think given you give it more focus, you develop it a little bit more, and it could have been better. The entire Garibaldi section can be injected in entirely, and I wouldn't give a shit. Or you could actually spend some time developing a thematic connection between the two plots, and it may actually turn into something good. Is this the worst episode of Babylon 5? It's certainly up there. Um, you know, the episodes I've been the most negative on would be Infection, TKO, and uh, this episode, Grey 17 is Missing. And those are usually considered the worst of the worst of uh, Babylon 5. There's uh, there's a couple, and there are like a handful of mediocre ones that I would sprinkle in here here and there um, from, uh, from the beginning of Season 2, personally. Um... But uh, those are the ones that are considered the worst and worst. And there's a couple from season five that I know people don't like all that much. But I think by season five, some of the issues with the show were sorted out. And even season, I, I even said this, I think, back in my TKO or Infection review, that uh, that I, I look at Grey 17 and I go, it has half a good episode and it has some ideas that are interesting. And by season three, the production quality of the overall is much better than season one, so I, I give it a pass. And I think that's true. Honestly, I don't like Infection. And Infection has a much more cohesive story uh, than, than Grey 17 is missing, but... Great, but Grace Seventeen Missy at least has an interesting through line with Delenn, Marcus, and Nerun, and continues some plot lines, continues character arcs that I care about. Infection has none of that. It's a one-off episode, and it was the first one filmed, so all the actors are getting used to their characters, and it's just kind of awkward all around. So Infection is honestly one of my least favorite and probably my contender for worst episode. Um, so yeah, Grace Seventeen Missy. Not a good episode. But anyway, see you next time. Until then, bye.